0: Everyone, welcome back to The Importance of Everything, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Molly, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kelly Johnson, um, and we're gonna be talking about you know, disability and accessibility, um, and more specifically, disability and accessibility within our schools and communities. So, hi, Kelly.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, my <laughs> name is Kelly. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a friend of Molly's. Um, we met in high school. We were in the jazz choir together. And uh, yeah, I'm so honored to be here.
0: Aww. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> no problem. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah. Um, Kelly and I first met in our school's jazz choir um, I think we really bonded over our mutual love for music and Taylor Swift, in that order. Um, yes, and James Bray. <laughs> and James Bay Jones. Yes, yes, which we'll probably end up going on a tangent about at some point during this podcast, um, <laughs> so I'm very excited for that. Um, but yeah, Kelly is probably one of the most creative and down-to-earth people I've ever met, and I've just been looking forward to this conversation for so long. Because I think, yeah, it's a really cool topic. Um, and I think it's Disability Pride Month right now, right, Kelly?
1: Yes, it is. It's Disability Pride Month. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny because I've only just discovered about Disability Pride Month, like, literally, like, two years ago. I wasn't what? aware of it until, like, I, last year I spent celebrating Pride Month, Disability Pride Month, um, I'm watching uh, documents documentary called Clip Cramp which is uh, incredible to keep advocating and to keep doing what I do. So,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you just, you also just won the Leadership um, Advocacy Award, right?
1: Yeah, for high school. Yeah, I won the, the Special Education Leadership and Advocacy Award, which was a true honor, considering, like, I, I, w- like, I, I, I knew since December. Of twenty twenty, but I I when I actually was got to the ceremony, the graduation ceremony, that was I was pre reported I was like, "Oh
0: my god!" Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. such a cool moment and um so well deserved.
1: Yeah, I I didn't hear about it. And, like I remember, I was like on a phone call with, with someone. Hey, it was have you heard about this movie? I was like, yeah. I was like, I, I was like, no, I haven't. And she recommended me to watch it. And I'm so glad that she, the minute I saw the Twitter, I was like, oh my God, I, ha- I can't wait for this to come out. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I'm tweet. Like, yeah. So cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely have to give it a watch after this. It sounds so interesting. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like I didn't know about Disability Pride Month until you told me like a couple of days ago when we were planning this episode. Um, yeah, I mean I, I yeah,
1: yeah. And I and what was great about Watson Click Plan was like I, I didn't know about ADA, I didn't know about people like Judith Human and Jimmy and Eric Roberts, I think is his name, double we'll tap on that. Um and uh, and the activists that led their really, like, Denise and everyone is really I was so empowered by them. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. So why don't we get right into the episode, then? Um, so if I'm not mistaken, you're currently writing a book um, on the topic of uh, disability and accessibility within schools, um, and as well the stigma that surrounds that. And I know we kind of briefly talked about it, but um, do you mind telling uh, me a little more about your book? What a book inside is so far is called Unreported. Um, it's basically
1: about um, uh, it's a concept I've had for like a really long time, um, like, um, like even before COVID and before uh, what happened. To, uh, it's about some situations that have happened with me and other disabled uh, people, students specifically, um, mm-hmm. visible or non-visible um have experience with EAs with their you know, provided work their school workers like EAs or or even a teacher sometimes uh mistreating a student or they or like or just like um mistreat a student, disabled student or like and some of these Some of the things that I've gone through, some of the things that some of my high school students, disabled students, that went through, are like, uh, I would left unresolved. Like they were resolved, but they weren't resolved in the way they wanted it to be, or like, right? Or like they were not reported because they were silenced. I I've been silenced probably once or twice for seeing something but I saw it was wrong and been told to shh. So, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately that does happen. And, and um, uh, before COVID hit, I was one out of six students at a high school that, that had no EA.
0: Really? Simply, yeah. Yeah, so like quite the shortage of professionals who like, that must have been quite difficult as well to go through.
1: Yeah, it was difficult. And, and like, even though I, luckily I had a, like, luckily I worked at Moana for the four, the four years I was in. But, like, there were, like, two junior students that had no EA. Like, <laughs> and it's their first year of high school. And, like, you know, they didn't know what to do. So, I, I, I tried to help them. Just one managed to go fully independent and stuff, and one that sort of struggled that I tried to help. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't help everybody. Like, I have yeah. to, you like, know, like I got my own stuff too. So, it's just, it was it, like, there was a staff sort it, 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 like, it of, so like, there was like a work to rule but then it got, but then it got like, out and I was hoping after that like at least like the person that was the head of a disabled department would at <laughs> least hire some these or that, that, that was never dealt with.
0: Especially with the younger students who didn't have an EA I feel like the transition to high school was already hard enough but then to have to deal with that shortage and like the added pressure on you to you know keep up with your own work and like also try to help these younger students that must have been really a difficult thing to kind of balance and not something that you should have to balance.
1: Yeah I mean it was I mean it was exhausting I mean I mean like with the years I've worked with I think I've only had three good experiences out of multiple I mean, not that they wouldn't. Like, I find with EAs, they go in a level. Like, they, there's always like one or two good EAs that are organized and that will help you with numbers, and will do have a common sense at least. And then there's three that could, and there's three AAs that will help you, but like they can't help you. They can only help you with English. But they can't help you with math. Right. they can help you with science but they can't help you with history you know what i mean Or like, yeah so like so and then you have like like the third group which is the eas that are on their phones they don't cooperate with you or they or they tell you oh be independent but like i'm asking for direct help like i'm yeah. asking for help just because i'm like, I, I had the independent part phoned at me <laughs> like, the years, and it was really difficult for me to, I mean, it got exhausting for me to, like, constantly, like, say, I I need help with this, and then be like, and then they'd be like, well, you can do it. I'm like,
0: I <laughs> Like, how
1: many times have I repeat
0: myself? Sounds absolutely unmanageable and just so unfair as well. Have you found that that's like changed at all during COVID or has it been kind of heightened by the pandemic?
1: Um, I had to actually, like one of my peers I like graduated this year. Uh, she asked me to help her at some point. And, but again, like she, but she couldn't get assignments well, she got it done eventually, but she couldn't get them uh, done on time, basically. Mm-hmm. and It was really, I think it was frustrating for the student that I was helping with. Um, so, yeah, that was, I, I mean, I helped her out and I did the best I could, but at the same time, I'm
0: like, and it was I very think- successful for for sure that must have been a very because I feel like especially in like March 2020 everything was already so uncertain and so like to add on top of that um, adjusting to a new learning format and then on top of that like just everything that was going on.
1: I mean with me like when everything when COVID happened and everyone was on lockdown like I, I, this is kind of, I had culinary arts, which I did at home, and I passed, but like, I also did a,
0: it's so much more complicated than it needs to be, and just must have been, like, especially when everything was kind of exploding with COVID, you don't exactly want to travel somewhere, and you know, mix with other people, so I feel, yeah, that must have been very stressful.
1: It was like, That, like, the the argument for that, that was, like, three weeks before everything took down. Like, literally.
0: The stories that you've um, produced yourself, like, how has this kind of gone into your writing or affected your experience of, you know, planning this book and writing this book? I mean,
1: writing about it has been, I mean, almost therapeutic in a way because I'm uh, like it's hard because like obviously those moments those times that I've written are obviously very sort of traumatic for me because of how I felt and how and how lonesome I felt because there's times where I've advocated and I felt like I was the only one advocating I like receiving stories and being a good listener and trying and at the same time and um but also I just but I'm trying to motivate myself into it because I I I just I, I can't I, I just I just can't go to bed knowing that there that they're just some disabled students that are being mistreated, And you know if they don't have a voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they have a voice. They have every right to respond to see when something's not right like put on. they 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 know themselves they don't need someone else to tell them what
0: to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Like these students with all the shortages and stuff in school, like that should not be, that should not be an issue that they have to deal with while they're trying to, you know, keep on top of their work and their studies and manage all the other things um, that can make life so busy in high school.
1: I also like every disabled person has a different way of responding to cerebral it. and it's when an ea provides a solution it's some like sometimes it helps but there's also different types of i have cerebral palsy um, but there's different types of cp that but verify in different like whether it's mentally or physically you know invisible or visible you know what i mean <laughs> like um mm-hmm. so like, it, it's a lot of phrases and a lot of diagnosis and a lot of, I mean, it's hard to provide one solution. There's multiple solutions, and I just,
0: yeah. Yeah, and so, like, maybe more qualifications, more training, more... um
1: And training, training. I, like, I mean, I understand being in EA is a successful job, and it's, I mean, having to deal with the system that just sort of has... I could go on about the system, but I'm not going to because it's, it's like, it's already like a little bit catastrophic enough. And...
0: Mm-hmm. Just going back to your book and COVID, did you find that like COVID and the pandemic kind of inspired you to write it or kind of gave you the time? I think it gave it me
1: the Time, I think after I watched Camp, I was so motivated by the by these activists. But I was mostly moved by uh, Judith Kuman, um, who was a female disabled advocate. Like you know, she like she's so um, like. She, the way how she like i just love her so much like i she's truly one of my icons like i didn't know anything about her until i watched the movie and like judith when she said well if you're not gonna say anything then you're not gonna get it and that quote kind of motivated me to be like well i have stories about these things, things that have happened to me in the past. But I got to use my voice for the like she did. I just felt empowered by how she read this book, and, and, sure. like and, and also she has a book called A Human Perspective, and I highly suggest that book. It's really
0: mm-hmm. And I feel a book is such, first of all, writing a book just seems like such a huge undertaking and such a big commitment. Um, but it also seems so incredibly rewarding Um, and especially like finding that medium that place to be able to channel all of your energy and use your voice and like advocate for people who might not feel safe or like as empowered to use their voice is just having that place seems just like a very fulfilling thing to have
1: yeah and by the way like like, where do we, everything, I mean, in the book, everything, the stories are going to be anonymous, so, you know, just to, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah.
0: Um, and so all of these um, disabled activists, the ones that were featured in the film, in the documentary, are there any, other kind of authors or creators that you feel particularly inspired by? well, if I have to
1: be honest, like as a disabled woman the only i I knew a lot of male disabled icons like Stephen Hawking and Rick hanson um who else um, uh, uh Wes Hamilton and mm-hmm. um, a bunch, I mean, and who else? Uh, Taylor Fox, like I knew the male icons, um, but I didn't know, um, and, and they're great. I mean, what the, you know, Stephen Hawking research is unbelievable and amazing. However, I the disabled woman seeing these male, disabled male with icons, I felt like I could like uh, I was only like when I was a kid, I only knew one disabled woman. Well Like I knew, and her name is Helen kato and she uh, she was uh, blind, deaf, and she couldn't speak uh and basically she was like the first disabled woman to like disabled person to have like a degree in like a bachelor's degree i guess i'm sorry you have to double check on that because i like i and that's the only woman i really knew i just that, that was the only yeah and i just felt like that was the only one I kind of aspired to beforehand but then so yeah but I just felt like I don't know it was just a lack of male I mean lack of female I didn't I didn't know much about a lot of female activists growing up which was kind of yeah
0: like female representation in the disabled community and have you found at all that like social media or any other platforms has kind of helped? Yes, oh uh, yeah, Erin um,
1: Aaron Phillips. Erin Aaron Phillips is a disabled, uh, transgendered African-American model, disabled model. And she's amazing, and she is amazing. I mean, I discovered her in social media and I was like, wow, like she is, like, this is great. <laughs> I mean, it's great to know that there are other icons up and coming. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had that exposure when I was growing up. I didn't, I only had one in gender. <laughs> does that make any sense?
0: It does, no, totally, totally, yeah. I think that's one of just the most wonderful aspects about social media is being, being able to, um, like find and kind of expand all these different communities um and find new role models who you can look up to and who like the younger generation can look up to and it's such a different way of i guess interacting with people within your community but it just it also makes the community feel so much larger totally
1: i mean i'm inspired by like Current activists and and including my friends, my friends have inspired me a, a lot as well. I mean, it's pretty like I, we're, we're pretty tight knit uh, uh, community when we're together. I mean, it's great. I, I I like I love it so
0: much. I'm kind of wondering, like, just to go back to your book, um have you told many people that you're writing a book? Like, what were their Um,
1: I, I mean, it it was a concept in my mind for a very long time. I just, at the time I had schoolwork and I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I wasn't really sure how I could put it like together. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah.
1: um, I first told my parents they liked it and then I was, you know, I was going to make it into a fictional setting like i was gonna like put all these like incidents into like a fiction like put everything happened to me in a fictional world like when i started from high school to the end of high school into like a fictional thing but then i was like then i have to create fake names i have to it just seemed it just seems like a, I, I just didn't want to like even though i'm i love fictional writing I just was like, this is too much. Wait, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'll just make it like a nonfiction, anonymous book with all these stories um and stuff. And uh, with me and, I mean, not a lot of. I mean, I. <laughs> it actually started. I was in a Zoom call with my my best friends and and we would talk we were talking about stuff that happened to us in high school and then i was like well i got this book that i plan on writing so then i just was like so we went back and forth on that and uh so but it just kind of uh and but i when i to, i mean only like my parents know like like she like my best my couple of my friends now, they've they joined in to help me. And then like I've only received like three or four stories from my friends so far, so that's,
0: yeah. And do you, I'm curious on how you get the stories. Like, do you do you set up interviews? Do you like do Zoom calls? Do they write it to you? Like, what's kind of your writing? Uh, course? Well,
1: I created a survey, well, it was, well, when I spoke with my friend, I, she was like, I want to work on this project. I was, she sent me a draft, like fully like, consented to the whole thing. And then, um, however, with my other peers, like I I've made a survey.
0: The link for anyone I, who's listening, the link to the survey is in the podcast Instagram bio. And also, I think it's in Kelly's Instagram bio. So. Um, I
1: will put it in. It's not in my bio yet, but it will be, (laughs) but
0: it will be. Okay, (laughs) perfect. Um, So yeah, if anyone's interested, uh, yeah, just visit the Instagram.
1: Yeah, just just do the survey. I mean, take your time, but uh, I mean, I I am, uh, my ears are open. I'm willing to listen and uh, if you have any questions, you can email me, <laughs> so yeah.
0: Amazing, and do you have any final thoughts about disability or accessibility as a whole or about Disability Pride Month? I mean,
1: with when it comes to, I mean, I'm just, I'm to really, I'm glad you liked my idea of the story that I'm not you even know, like, um, yeah, I just kind of want, like, I just, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're giving me, like, the platform to, like, do this, because i just, was, uh, I was like, I wasn't sure if you were really tempted or not, I don't know why, but, like, I just was, like, I was so used to, like, um, like, but yeah, anyways, I don't have to go there, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think being disabled is like a day-to-day basis. Like it's not like like it, you know, for me, I think throughout my teenage years I had a I had a hard time accepting being disabled. it does there's days where I accept it and then there's days where I don't, you know. It's and then like especially in school, I was I always like, I remember, like, like in my early teens, I would like, I would try to go out with, like, I would try to not. I felt like I was putting myself in a box by hanging out know, with my disabled friends, and I wanted to be out of the box so badly, just so I could feel included and like but then I. Like I I, I wanted to badly not be represented by my disability entirely. But however, I had to come to a conclusion that my disability is a part of me, but it's not all of me. You know what I mean? Like it took me a while to, uh, and now, you know, being disabled is a part of who I am, as a a part of it, (laughs) not all of me. I think it took me a while to kind of, I felt like for a long time it defied all of me, but it doesn't. It's just a part of who I am, and
0: um, and with all, and, your, uh, with all of your advocacy, Kelly, and like all of the things you do to make people feel so accepted and so loved and so heard. Like I think at the end of the day, all anyone wants is to be heard, um, and to be like, I guess, validated in that sense that someone else shares that experience. Like, the fact that you're doing that um, for, like, your younger peers and everything is just super inspiring. And also, you just have this, you always just go out of your way. I saw it in jazz choir, like, every single day. You just, you always go out of your way to make people feel welcome and make people feel, like, very connected with you, um, which I just admire yeah. so much. Like, thank you. Oh my God, thank you for saying that. I, I totally no. I think it's so apparent. Everyone who meets you is just like instantly drawn to you and your confidence. And um, yeah, no. I'm just bottom line. I'm just so glad that we were able to talk because it's been way too long and i love advocating
1: i love doing what i do and i just you know it i i you know it
0: takes a village to get a bunch of people you you know well that seems like a pretty great place to end off this episode of the podcast just once again thank you so much for coming on i thought that this was a really good conversation um I definitely yes. learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else did as well. Um, and also remember yeah. to follow Kelly's survey at the link in the podcast Instagram bio and also hers in a couple days. Um, and yeah, thank you just so much. It was so lovely to Thank talk you, you so
1: much for inviting me. I'm so honored.